Intellectual property is this phrase, this term that people seem to get really hung up on. I got to keep my intellectual property. I have to own it. You don't have to own that song. You just have to own the right to use it the way you intend to and have a clear, you know, clear expectations about what, if anything, is being paid for it and those kinds of things. Welcome back to Podcast Launchpad. I'm Kelly. When you first start podcasting, you probably don't take the law into consideration, but there are lots of legal issues we need to think about and plan for so that we can protect ourselves and our shows. That's why I'm so excited to have this conversation today with my guest, attorney Gordon Firemark. Gordon has practiced media, entertainment, and business law in solo practice since 1992. In podcasting circles, he's known as the podcast lawyer. Gordon is the producer and host of the Entertainment Law Update podcast and the author of the podcast blog and New Media Producers Legal Survival Guide. Gordon also teaches entertainment law at Columbia College Hollywood, intellectual property and media law at Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising, and contract law at Pepperdine Law School. Welcome, Gordon. I am so happy you're here today. Well, Kelly, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you. So you have been podcasting a long time, even longer than I have. When did you start? It was back in the in the ancient days of <laughs> podcasting. Uh, 2009 is when, I, well, actually, I started as a guest on other people's shows starting around 2006 and seven, which was really uh, the dark ages. And then in 2009, when I first started my show, Entertainment Law Update, um, I was telling you, I had to hand code the RSS feed because uh, the WordPress software that would made that easy hadn't yet been introduced to the public. And it came yeah. out just a few months later and we adopted it quickly. But boy, those first few episodes, I got my fingers deep in the code oh. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. But. That is dedication. Oh, my gosh. And back then, I would imagine you would tell people, check out my podcast and I'm like, what? on earth are you talking about? Because right. I still encounter some people today who are like, how do I listen to a podcast? And, you know, I hate to say, pull out your phone and let me show you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually had on the podcast website, I think I still might have it there, a, 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 a page called what is a podcast and <sighs> that explained, I should go look at it and see if it still talks about downloaded and loaded into your iTunes and uploaded <laughs> to your iPod <laughs> back in those days. <laughs> And, and I think a lot of people have forgotten that podcast came from iPod. I forget their names, but the two guys who invented podcasting and they wanted to listen to um, like, yeah. you know, pre-recorded radio shows on their iPods. And at the time, I don't know if you remember this, there was a lot of debate about whether it was okay to call it a podcast because, you know, some people are saying, no, we shouldn't use Apple's branding and let's call it a netcast or mm. those kinds of things. But uh, podcast seems to have stuck. Oh, and thank goodness. It's a much better name, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. A netcast. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. All right. I have so many questions for you and I'm really looking forward to learning from you and sharing this information with my Perfect. listeners. Let's do it. All right. So <laughs> let's start with what are some legal considerations that podcasters should be aware of before they start their show? Well, uh, before you start your show, if you're if you're talking about working with a 
co-host or co-producers and things you're, you're sort of interviewing or discussing it with people. You know, not everybody feels like it's important to do this, but if you've got a brilliant idea and you're worried that somebody might take it and run with it without you, it might make sense to have some confidentiality language and a non-disclosure agreement of some sort. Um, that's like I said, that's not for everybody. That that's for you know the the brilliant idea, and it's not you're not just going to do an interview show or something like that. But it, it might make sense. Beyond that, I think you're assembling a team and you you need to, assuming you're not doing it all by yourself, mm -hmm. assembling a team means bringing other people into the equation. And that calls for some structure. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I would say is think about the structure. Are you doing this in your existing business or at just as a hobby? Or is it intended to sort of stand alone and separate from your other stuff? And, and we talk about, you know, protecting your personal assets from liability related to the podcast. So right. it might mean forming a, a corporation or a limited liability company to insulate, separate the podcast and insulate the owners from risks that come with that. And there are a few risks I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but when you, when you, even if you're just bringing on someone to help you edit the show or write it or, or a co-host who isn't going to be, you know, sort of an owner, mm -hmm. we need to articulate those things too. And so, um, I, I talk about having some kind of a podcast prenup oh. um, to, to <laughs> lay out the relationship and what's expected of the parties and, and all those, what happens if, if this thing doesn't work out and somebody decides to leave, who gets the house and who gets the kids, the the yeah. physical assets, the intangible assets of the show. And of course the audience, there's the kids for you, right? That who owns that RSS feed. And you'd be surprised how often that becomes a dispute mm -hmm. later on when co-hosts aren't getting along anymore or just decide to go their separate ways. And they both think of it as their show. Wow. That um, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and the, the, need for the prenup applies to guests as well. If you're going to have guests on the show, you should have them agreeing to something in a fairly formal way. I, I call it a, a podcast release and, mm. um, uh, you know, that basically gives you consent to record them and publish them and use the content in other media. A lot of people, you know, take the content of their show and maybe take it and use excerpts in a book or put it behind a paywall in an online course or those kinds of things. So it's more than just, Hey, do you mind if I record and publish this thing, but you need some additional consent. And it talks about the, whether they get paid and do they have any editorial influence over the show, those kinds of things. So right. the guest release, I, I would say, uh, if you're going to have guests on your show, use my freebie. I'll give you the freebie right now and say podcastrelease.com. You can download a free, uh, document that you can use, you can tweak it, modify it, and incorporate it into your workflow. So it's it's there every. I, I say it's like like safe sex. Practice safe guest. Use one every time. <laughs> safe guest. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. When I have guests approach me, mm -hmm. I send them to my guest intake form on my yep. website, and there I have them just simply give permission to me to use the content in perpetuity or for as long as I have my show. Yeah. And I don't say anything beyond that, uh, beyond the show. So like you're saying, like potential courses, book, whatever. It, it might make sense to add some language, not just in perpetuity, but also in any and all media now known right. hereafter devised, those kinds of things. And, you know, talking about the compensation, talking about the editorial mm -hmm. stuff, uh, check out my, my freebie I will. And, <laughs> and you'll see the language you can add it in there, but that's a great way to do it is build it into 
your onboarding, your workflow, the appointment booking, whatever it is, so that they're reading it, clicking a box or typing their name or something that indicates their intent to be bound. And you've got a contract and the law is pretty clear that these click wrap and and, uh, uh, electronic kinds of contracts are binding. So it works. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. That is great advice and something that I need to definitely do more of because I haven't had everyone sign one, as you know. Well, you know, <laughs> we didn't do you hereby have my consent to record and use our recording and the results and proceeds therefrom in perpetuity in any and all media now known or hereafter devised without any intent to compensate. And I shall have no further editorial control beyond choosing my words on the show. <laughs> Thank you for that. And it's by the way, an oral release can work if you remember to say it all. So, yes, true. Awesome. All right. And how about protecting intellectual, like specific intellectual properties, such as podcast name and yeah. the logo and the content, you know, of our episodes? Yeah. That's the next thing I would say is you've got to start thinking about, you know, perfecting, I would guess, your ownership of these things. So you choose a terrific title for your show. And let me, let me just give a little bit of advice about that is choose a title that's very distinctive. Stay away from very descriptive terms. And this is where I have to say, do as I say, not as I do, because my podcast is called Entertainment Law Update, which tells you exactly what you're getting. It's highly descriptive. <laughs> and so I had to wait a while uh, to uh, achieve in the in the eyes of my audience a secondary meaning, which is sort of an acquired distinctiveness. But if you choose a distinctive title from the outset, then you have what the law calls a trademark. And you can register that trademark for protection in the United States and in other countries as well, where you have large listener bases or things like that. But uh, registering that protection gives you the ability to tell somebody else, hey, I got here first. Stop using that name of yours that is confusingly similar with mine. And uh, I'll tell you, you know, telling somebody I've got a registered trademark, that's usually the last they need to hear to know they want to make a change. Um, you don't get a fight like you sometimes do if they discover that you don't have a registration. So right. there you right. go. And then same thing with a logo. And, and I'm not referring to cover art, of course, but yeah. a specific logo that would be on the cover art like I have. Yeah. So you can trademark that as well, right? The logo can certainly be another kind of a distinctive brand that's attached to the goods or services. What a trademark is really is some kind of a distinctive symbol or phrase or word or something that indicates source or origin Mm -hmm. of the goods and services that it's attached to. So the title of your show can be a trademark. The the logo that you use, sometimes the cover art itself can be a trademark. So um, yeah, it, it makes right. sense to at least evaluate that. My fig- my thinking is that people like to change their logos and their cover yes. art from time to time, but the title of the show is probably staying the same. So yeah. that's the the primary one. But if, if resources are available, it makes sense to protect all these things. That makes sense. All and right. then the other kind of intellectual property, I'm going to just jump on you here. Yeah. <laughs> the other intellectual property you need to think about is the copyrights in the content that you're creating. Um, you own a copyright the moment you engage in the act of authorship, which is essentially expressing an original idea in a way that's fixed in some tangible form. And when you own a copyright, it gives you exclusive rights, the right to make and distribute copies, to perform or display the work, and to make works based on or derived from derivative works uh, from the original. That's great. 
and you want to own that stuff. You, you do own it from the moment you create it. If you create cornerstone content, I'm, you can register a copyright for every single episode. That starts to cost a lot of money because it's about, I think it's about $80 now to register a copyright for, wow. for a single episode. So there's no way to do it right now for 10 episodes at a time or bundles unless you mm. treat it as a compilation or something. So it's, it's a little iffy. But if you're creating cornerstone content that you think people might want to lift chunks from for some reason, it makes sense to to register that copyright and gives you the added protection of uh, you can collect your attorney's fees and you can collect statutory damages without having to prove any actual out-of-pocket loss, oh, those wow. kinds of things. So that can be valuable. Okay. Um, oh, that's the, great. Yeah. The flip side of copyright, though, I want to just mention is you have to respect other people's copyrights. Yes. If you're going to use stuff created by other people, remember they're doing the act of authorship too. Yes. And if you're going to use it, they have the exclusive right to right. allow copying and performance. So if you're going to use a piece of music, you're going to read a piece of spoken word, poetry, those kinds of things, or in video, if you're going to show, you know, a, an artwork that somebody created, you know, you got to think about these things. Mm-hmm. And, um, the best scenario, of course, is to get permission, get a license from the owner of the material. So you yeah. don't encounter those nasty DMCA takedowns or worse, the letter from a lawyer and possible lawsuit. Yeah. So, yeah, music, even if. All right. So there are places online where we can get royalty free is mm-hmm. ideal licensed music. I have mentioned before on the show that if we get someone we know, you know, whether it's friend, family, neighbor, you know, whatever, to create an original composition for us, Mm -hmm. we need a contract for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because, again, if they create it, they're the author. Unless they're your employee. If you hire them, put them on payroll with taxes and all that then you own what they create. Other than that, they're an independent contractor. They own it unless you have a written contract that says otherwise. And, you know, I want to say intellectual property is this phrase, this term that people seem to get really hung up on. Mm -hmm. I got to keep my intellectual property. I have to own it. You don't have to own that song. You just have to own the right to use it the way you intend to and have a clear, you know, clear expectations about what, if anything, is being paid for it and those kinds of things. So. That makes sense. When you hire your neighbor's kid to write that song for you, um, you might buy it out from them completely. Or if they're smart, they'll say, no, I'm going to keep it. But you have the right to use it in your show. And, you know, you'll pay me X dollars or maybe a royalty, a certain amount per episode or something like that. Um, But negotiate the deal. Yeah, that's great. All right. And then so when you mentioned other third party content, Mm -hmm. clips, things like that. So are there general rules on what types of clips we could share legally? The only general rule that I can tell you is if you use something that doesn't belong to you, you need to get permission. Okay. Now, a lot of people throw the words fair use out there. Right. And fair use is a. Yeah, it's a doctrine within the copyright law. It's actually been codified into the copyright law that is based on the judges in the most of the 20th century struggling with this idea that copyright is this restriction on what you can do 
versus the free speech, free press side of the First Amendment. Both of these principles exist in the U.S. Constitution and copyright law as a statute as well. So they had to wrestle with this and they came up with this fairly complicated four-factor analysis that we have to do for each individual possible infringement Mm -hmm. to decide, is it an infringement or is it a fair use? And um, I'll go run down the factors real quickly for you. The first one is the the purpose and character of the alleged infringing use. Is it educational or scholarly or or criticism or is it more artistic or something? The the scholarly educational criticism kinds of things are going to favor fair use, whereas just purely entertainment kind of stuff probably doesn't. None of these four factors is dispositive, by the way. You have to look at them all. The second factor is the nature of the original. And sort of a comparison is, is the new work somehow transformative? Does it change the meaning or the perception of the work meaningfully? And uh, that if it does, then that'll maybe favor fair use uh, further. We're going to actually see later this year in 2023, June or so, the Supreme Court is deciding an important case dealing with an Andy Warhol use of a photograph of Prince oh, and right. and whether or not that is transformative enough to be a fair use. Yeah. The third factor is the amount and substantiality of the portion taken. And that's where you get a lot of these misconceptions about, well, I'm only using eight, eight measures of the song or mm-hmm. 20 seconds or those guys. None of those are real rules of thumb. It, it varies dramatically because it's not just the quantity, but also the qualitative use, the substantiality of what's taken. You take the hook of a famous song, it might not be eight measures, but it's it counts. Right. So got to be thoughtful about that. Yeah. And then the fourth factor is the impact on the market for or value of the original. Mm. Now, note that none of those four factors included anything about whether you, the alleged infringer, are making money from this thing. It's not about that. It's about whether or not you've essentially deprived the owner of the copyright of the right to make money or to choose not to make money Mm. from the thing. They have a right to say no Mm -hmm. and uh, for artistic reasons or otherwise. So when you look at those four factors and you have to do that balancing on each each individual clip you use, you can see that it gets very time consuming and costly and you can't rely on any rules of thumb and you need someone like me to write you a letter that says, yeah, it's fair use, go ahead and do it or right. or not right. um, before you really can be sure. And, and by the way, when I write that letter, I never say, yes, it is, go ahead. I'll say <laughs> it's very low risk yeah. <laughs> or something like that. There is never yeah. no risk. So Absolutely. And it seems like for podcasts that are educational, you know, informational yeah. or entertainment based, mm-hmm. then there is the temptation to go, well, so I'm sharing it for educational purposes or I'm sharing it for yeah. uh, for entertainment purposes. I'm not profiting from it, mm-hmm. but that's still a massive risk. Uh, yeah. And, and, and again, I'm not profiting is not a factor. Right. Um, and even if you were profiting, it might not matter. It could still be a fair use. Let's face it. There's mm-hmm. film and music criticism where you, you know, you're playing a few seconds from the film to illustrate a point or just to introduce what you're going to talk about next or something like that. Or maybe it's a piece of music. You, you know, you're talking about um, great guitar ballads. And so you want to play five or 10 seconds of that, of that song from, you know, name a great guitar player or something like that that might be okay because you're doing criticism and commentary, whether it's educational or not, you know? So 
unfortunately, this fair use thing is a real moving target. And while we can sometimes make some predictions about it, an aggrieved copyright owner can still file a lawsuit. And uh, there are some that we know were very aggressive about it. You know, for example, Prince yes. didn't want anybody to cover his out his songs, yeah. even though the law specifically provides for a cover recordings. Mm -hmm. But in a podcast context, I'm sure he would go after people for using yes. even the slightest little clips. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I know we are very careful at Geek Girl Soup, my other podcast, mm -hmm. which we cover movies and TV shows. So, you know, we title. don't. Well, thank <laughs> you. We don't play anything. Yeah. We cite lines from movies that we quote or TV shows that we mm -hmm. quote. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. you know, if we happen to be talking about a book, which is rare now, we cite the book if we're quoting a line from a book as well. And, and and sometimes it's actually fun for the listener to go, oh, so, okay. So at, at four minutes and 13 seconds into this film, there's this great line, or there's this thing that happens in the background that people don't know to, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of fun to go find it for yourself rather than just yeah. have it spoon fed. So I yeah. think that that's an effective way to do it. True. Awesome. All right. So advertising and sponsorships. Mm -hmm. I read recently that the FTC is either cracking down already or going to be cracking down on podcasters who endorse products or services that they haven't actually tried. Yes. So, so that's a little bit of a, of a misstatement of what's been what's going on, but, okay. but it's close enough for, for our work, for podcasting work. Okay. Um, what's going on is, so first of all, we have to recognize that as podcasters, we are at least potentially, and probably in most cases, we're influencers. Mm -hmm. And the FTC has over the last probably 10 years or so really started looking carefully at what influencers do. And so, you know, when we think of influencers, we're usually thinking of the Instagram model or the Facebook poster or, or, you know, TikTok video creator, something like that. But the fact of it is when we are talking to our audience, we often have the power to influence their decisions about what products and services to buy and where to shop and those kinds of things. Yeah. And when you are an influencer and you recommend a product or a service, the the you the end user you know may um what's the word what may may just make decisions based on that mm -hmm. now if you are being compensated for making a statement for showing a product or, or talking about something on your show the law has always required that when you make endorsements or or these recommendations that you have to disclose the fact that there's been there's a financial relationship mm -hmm. that way. The consumer has all the information at their fingertips to make a buying decision fully informed right. where it becomes tricky is if you don't actually use the product mm -hmm. and they've just paid you to mention it. Well, it needs to be very clear that that's the case. Yeah. So you don't get to say, well, you got to try this. This is an amazing thing. You got to try this morning shake. I, I drink it every, you know, first of all, don't, don't ever lie in yeah. your, in your messaging. Yeah. But even just saying this is the best morning shake out there. You won't be disappointed. I promise mm. something like that. Well, that implies that you've tried it and that you use it and those kind of things. If, if that's not the case, you shouldn't be doing that. Even if you do disclose, Hey, they paid me to say this. Yeah. Instead you say, this is a spot, you know, let's now a word from our sponsor and you need to be thoughtful about not 
reading copy that suggests that you use it. So that that's that's the the thing. And what the FCC has recently done is they've said we're going to revise our guidelines sometime in the next few years. But the guidelines have been there for a while. And what they have done is revised their examples that they use in the guidelines. And for the first time this year or last year, they've mentioned podcasters as influencers in some of these examples. So that's been, you know, the alarming, oh, they're coming after podcasters. And I think they are. I think they're watching podcasting and they're looking at the the ones that are doing a lot of, especially, you know, look, if you're not making any real money, you're probably not on their radar yet, but it can happen someday. Right. Yeah. You just There's one other component of this that I think most podcasters, this probably isn't really an issue, but as listeners, we should be aware, you know, some podcasts get paid by the guests for the appearance. Right. Right. To my way of thinking, the, the host of the show or the owner of the podcast by bringing on a guest is implicitly, if not explicitly endorsing the guest and the guest's product and services. So if you're getting paid for that appearance, then I think we have that same obligation to disclose clearly and conspicuously the fact that we have a financial relationship. And there's lots of ways to do it in a subtle, uncomfortable way, but many of the guests don't want you to. Oh, so of it's course. something to be thoughtful about and make sure yeah. you do it. Yeah. I would imagine that most hosts wouldn't want to disclose that either, that people paid them to be on their show. Uh, you know, I, I could I could see both sides of it. I guess yeah, yeah. if I was if I was taking people's money to have my my guests on. Yeah, it sort of undermines your credibility. I didn't choose this guest. I chose the guest that would pay. Right. On the other hand, if that's the nature of your show, why yeah. not? You know, it's yeah. it's public relations. True. Yeah. And these, these people are going to pay someone to get you the exposure. Right. True. So, yeah. Yeah. Very true. Any other rules around advertising and sponsorship we should be aware of? Well, um yeah, I mean, there there are certain industry or oriented rules. You know, like if you're if you're talking about stocks and bonds and financial services, and you're in the financial services business, then there's lots of disclosures that you would be needing to make mm. in order not to jeopardize your license. Those kinds of things. Uh, but no, the, the basic rules are you know avoid false advertising or implications and and uh, disclose things fully when you're uh, engaged in a financial relationship. Awesome. All right. That should be easy enough. (laughs) One would think. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Can podcasters be held liable for the opinions expressed by their guests? Not for the opinions expressed by their guests, but for factual statements that are made by their guests. Yeah. If they're not true. Okay. So. Wow. Defamation. Okay. Yeah. Is, is, you know, libel when we're talking about published stuff, it's called slander when it's just spoken between a couple of people or something, but when it's published in electronic form or print or whatever, it's libel. Mm. Libel is a false statement that is made about a particular person that can be identified from the context um, that causes them injury or harm to their reputation or their standing in the community, or maybe just their relationships. Um, uh, a false statement of that's a factual kind of a tone. So you can tell a joke if it's clear that it's a joke. You can express an opinion if it's clear that it's an opinion. But as soon as the opinion starts to sound like it's really grounded in a bunch of facts that this person knows, that, that's where you start to cross the line. So my advice is if you're doing a show and you have an interview and someone says something that could be harmful about another person, 
you got to do some fact checking. You've got to either verify it or leave it. I say, when in doubt, leave it out, you know? Um, and, and I think that our editors should be empowered to do that, or at least check in with us about it. If we're not editing the stuff ourselves, because the, the risk is just very significant. It caused somebody's reputation harm, maybe intentionally, maybe not. And Mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of podcasters out there who are doing shows that are sort of about the catharsis after uh, a relationship or, or, you know, survivors of abuse or those kinds of things. And they're talking about their stories. Well, the fact of it is, remember I said, it has to be someone who has a particular person who's identifiable, right? It isn't enough just to change somebody's name. If you're talking about the way your father abused you mm-hmm. and you're using your own real name, yeah. well, it's easy enough for people to track down, okay, who's that person's father, even right. if you call him Jim or right. don't mention him at all. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's just implicit in the context. So you've got to be very careful about how you do these kinds of things. And pseudonyms are sometimes useful, but the fact checking is really the essence of it. That's great. All right. And so what other legal issues can you share that I haven't asked you about? Because well, I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> sometimes even when you're telling the truth about people, you're revealing information that is supposed to be private. Yeah. And there is, you know, a whole body of privacy law out there. Uh, one way that it happens is when the um, when the person's solitude or seclusion is somehow invaded. That is when they have an expectation, a reasonable expectation in the eyes of the law that that they're in a private space or that they have a degree of privacy, which is why we need consent to make a recording of a person. Yeah. Even if they're talking into a microphone, having a Zoom conversation with you, they may expect that it's just a Zoom conversation. Mm-hmm. We're having a conversation. That's why it says when you click that record button, you'll see an announcement. Hey, you're being recorded. That's yeah. part of that. But if you're going to publish it and do other things with it, I think you need bigger consent than that. Yeah. So that that's the seclusion and privacy. It's called intrusion okay. into solitude and seclusion. And it can happen when there's a hidden camera or a hidden microphone and those kinds of things. And unless the subject matter is really newsworthy because you're you know, doing an investigative report on a politician or a public figure or something mm-hmm. like that, most of the time that, that can be a, a, a legitimate claim. Mm-hmm. Um, another kind of privacy violation is where you're revealing just private facts about a person. Mm-hmm. There are some things that we consider the law considers, you know, your health information, your education or your employment history, those kinds of things private as between you and the provider, the employer, the educator, the or the um, health provider. But we should respect that as much as possible, too. Again, unless it's newsworthy, unless there's a real legitimate public interest in knowing that so-and-so was diagnosed as schizophrenic in their 19, in their twenties, or, you know, if if that person's running for office, that might be a valuable piece of information, Mm -hmm. but most of the time it's not. And so we, we shouldn't reveal that even if our guests are revealing it Mm -hmm. about their friend or neighbor or sibling or something like that, it can be troublesome. Mm. Um, and you know, it's just better to avoid that, um, when possible. A third form of privacy invasion is the false light invasion, where even though what you're saying is objectively a true statement, the context, the implication creates a false impression about a person. That's a real hard moving target. And and it doesn't come up often in this context. If you're doing the fact checking around the the defamation stuff, you're getting you're going to catch this stuff, too. Okay. And then the fourth one is misappropriation of person's name or likeness. So you you Mm -hmm. probably shouldn't call your 
podcast, The Robert Redford Show, unless you're <laughs> actually Robert Redford, right? Or right. even if you're talking about him, yeah. don't use it as the title. You can talk about people and and famous names and things in your show in context, as long as you're not creating an impression that they're somehow associated with or involved in or something like that. So that's the misappropriation. And that has its a cousin legal claim called the right of publicity mm. that um, that is only available in some states where it's more than just a dignity, embarrassment, shame kind of a thing, but it's actually a property right in the person's name or likeness. And that last one really only applies, those two last ones, the misappropriation of name and likeness, really only applies if you're making commercial use. Mm. The in, inside context of the show is not commercial, but that's why I said the title or the cover or those kind of things. That's yeah. where you get commercial with it. So privacy law is a thing. And, you know, ultimately I would say that, you know, this is a little bit of that do unto others as you would have done unto you, yeah. um, you know, be, be good to one another as Bill and Ted said. <laughs> yes. Yes. Be excellent to be each excellent other. to each yes, other. That's be right. Excellent to each other. Yeah. Love them. And so, you see what I did there? I quoted a movie and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's in the zeitgeist, isn't it? Yeah, so that yeah. should should be okay. Use the force loop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like we can avoid a lot of problems if we, like you said, do unto others yeah. at, from the Bible. <laughs> Being extreme. As in the Bible is in the public domain. Yes, true. <laughs> we can quote <laughs> Too many liberal, of them. liberally. Too many of the right. Bibles. Yes. So if we respect other people's privacy, mm-hmm. respect other people's rights to their property, mm-hmm. and yeah, leave people alone, leave uh, people's yeah. pri- uh, property alone, yeah. and create our own stuff, license mm-hmm. the music that we're going to use yeah. legitimately, and we can avoid a lot of problems that way. It Clearly, there are other issues that we need to well, consider that you already and, discussed. Yeah, but, and get it in writing. Get the relationships get down so that there are clear expectations and get yeah. the uh, permissions down when you're using someone else's stuff. Huh? Yeah. I, I would say you're, you know, 99% of the way there if you do all these things. There's always going to be you know, the possibility of a dispute between a co-host or a co-producer or some sponsor feels that they didn't get what they paid for with their advertising or, yeah. you know, those kinds of things. And and there's lots of uh, related legal issues that come up, you know, once in a while. And um, yeah, that's where people like me get involved. And of course, if you're wanting to document those kinds of relationships that we talked about with those prenups or forming that LLC or registering those trademarks and copyrights, then um, some of it you can do yourself, and um, I like to show people how to do it themselves if they're so inclined. Uh, but sometimes you just want someone else to do it for you, so you know you can sleep at night knowing it's done well. Yes, and, absolutely. Um, and so listeners can hire you to help with that. They sure can. Yeah, well, if you don't mind, I'll run down a couple of the things. I try to have something available for everyone at every price point. So I have a lot of free information out there. I do not just the Entertainment Law Update podcast, but I also do a show called uh, legit podcast pro, which okay. is a weekly live stream that I do on Facebook and YouTube and LinkedIn and a few other places. And, um, usually Thursday afternoons, Pacific time, I go live on a subject for about 10 or 15 minutes, free information to help you guide your way through these things. I also have the, the free release that I mentioned. I have a, an ebook called the podcast blog and new media producers, legal survival guide. 
podcastlawbook.com is the short way to get there. Awesome. And um, uh, the course called Easy Legal for Podcasters mm-hmm. is available if you're if you're the do-it-yourselfer and you want the forms and the templates and some instruction on the law that's underlying them and how to use them and those kinds of things. You can go to easylegalforpodcasters.com and um, and then, you know, go hire me, thepodcastlawyer.com uh, if you want that done for you service. And awesome. um yeah. And I periodically do a workshop, a free workshop for folks that are interested in this and doing a little deeper dive. It's it's called the uh, Business and Legal Fundamentals for Podcast Growth and Profit. And if you head on over to uh, podcastlaw.net, uh, the, either a waiting list or the registration for the next one will be available for you there. Awesome. You got all the great URLs, didn't you? You got in on this early. Uh, you know, I'm one of those people who some, maybe I have more money than sense sometimes, but I'll, I'll come up with an idea in the middle of the night and I'll register it right away just so I have it. And then I've probably got a hundred unused domains as well. <laughs> I hear so. you. I don't have that many, but yeah, I get an idea. I'm like, oh, let's go check. Oh, yes. Yeah. Let's just get it just in case. So sure, yeah, not that many though, but that is awesome. And yeah, and they're getting those URLs too. How many Great other... advice. Yeah. And how many other lawyers are there specifically working on podcasting? I mean, you know, others can handle it, but you are the podcast lawyer. So. You know, I th- yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm the podcast lawyer because I came to it early and I wrote the yeah. book and I, you know, those kinds of things. And I've become known in the, in the podcasting community. And there are a number of other entertainment lawyers who also work in the podcast space. I would say most of them aren't as dedicated to it as I am. Um, I have a few colleagues that I see at all the conferences nowadays. We speak on panels together and it's a friendly camaraderie kind of a competition among us. But uh, um, yeah, I, I'm, I, I think I'm still pretty much the, the go-to guy for a lot of them. And, yeah. um, uh, but you know, you know what they say about well, one lawyer in a small town will starve, but two <laughs> can make a generous living. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the same is sort of true in this space. Once, once the lawyers get involved, it, it's a real business. It, and this is a maturing business. So yes. um, whether you're doing it as a hobbyist or as a standalone business or in support of your other business, I think it, it does pay to talk to somebody and get some good advice. And and uh, not every entertainment lawyer, not every media or intellectual property lawyer quite knows the issues because every industry is a little different. So mm-hmm. find a podcast lawyer. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here and sharing all of this information. I learned some nuances that I was totally unaware of. I mean, you know, not a lawyer. So (laughs) when I've given suggestions before about music, you know, and, and some other episodes, I always preface it, not a lawyer, but here's some suggestions. So, yeah. Yeah. Kelly, thank thank you. you so much for giving me the platform. I love to get this information out there and share so that uh, folks can put their messages out there without fear and know that they're going to have the impact and the influence they want and, and be able to do it safely. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you again. And thank you all for listening today. Be sure to follow so you don't miss a single episode. And I will see you next time on Podcast Launchpad. 